0: Welcome back to the Working Family Podcast, where we go through everything that you can have in your business to help bring your teams back together and create your own working families in your business. In this week's episode, we cover the dreaded coronavirus, but that's not all. We also look at five things that you must be aware of in your business from the April 2020 changes. We look at why nasty managers never prosper in your business. We also look at the right audience and how you should play to the right audience, the people in your teams and managing them, and how you should and shouldn't be talking to them. Not one size fits all, remember? We look also at providing a sense of belonging, how you create that sense within your teams and within your business, and how that can help you maximize the hidden potentials within your teams. Guys, without further ado, we're going to get started right now with the five things that you must be aware of in your business of the changes in April 2020. Are you prepared? If not, here's five areas you probably should be considering right now. Enjoy. Right, hi there guys, it's Mike coming in from Cavill, um, just here in the office today at the moment in time and thought, do you know what, it's coming up to the end of February and next month clearly as it goes is going to be March, I had to think about that then for a minute, so next, month, next week we're going to be heading into March and then straight after that we're heading into April which means, do you know what, when it comes to starfishes, when it comes to people within your business, there's two really big months that you need to be aware of when it comes to that around legal changes those that are coming out in October and those that are coming out in April which means right now we should be getting ready if not before for any changes that are going to come up in April so I wanted to let you know that there are five key things that are coming up in April that you must you must be aware of in your business and one of those core things that you must be aware of right now in your business, well, it's all around the statement of particulars. And guys, I don't want to bore anybody too much here. This is not what it is meant to be about, but they're really important facts. And quite frankly, if your statement of particulars or your contracts of employment, you might be giving out to your staff. If in those contracts, you're not including your workers, those people that are on casual contracts or zero hour workers, you need to change that. So, last year it was about getting them onto your payroll, making sure they're getting pay slips. This year it's about making sure that these people have contracts, statements, and particulars. And you know what? There's some real big changes around these coming up. Before, if you had employees, you had an eight week window, that was two whole months from the point someone started to the point you had to give them something in writing around their statement of particulars, telling, telling them kind of what pay they're gonna get, telling them where they're gonna be working, what hours they're gonna be working, their holiday enticement, etc., etc. right? You had two months to give that out to them. That's changed. With effect from April, it's actually immediate. So the point that somebody starts in your business, whether that's an employee or a worker, they're gonna to have to have statement and particulars in writing delivered to them from the day. They dot that they actually start with you. That's, that's a big game change. You don't have that window, that luxury anymore to take a little bit more time to get these things sorted, to give it to your staff and or your workers from now on. And by the way, they've changed some of the terms of what you have to have in your statement particulars now. So if you're doing your contracts, you may have this all figured out already. This is all just like, shut up, Mike. You know, we've got all of sorted already. But in terms of things for us, we know now that actually moving forward, you need to put in definitive times when people are actually starting. So. If you were just saying, for example, someone's gonna be working 30 hours a week, that now will not be sufficient. You need to be able to put in when they're expected to be working those 30 hours between. So Monday to Friday, five till uh, nine till five. So that, that'll be the sort of thing you'd be looking to put in there. So the second, get it in there, the second point you need to really be concerned about right now is IR35. And as soon as you mention it, people are either thinking you're making that up It's come from a movie somewhere, or they just fall asleep. It's a tax regulation. Basically, it's not changing in its own, right? It's not. It's staying the same as it always has been. But the parameters as to who decides whether someone falls within or outside of this legal loophole comes down to the end user. You, the business, or the agency, whichever case may be. But if you're taking somebody on who's a freelancer and they're off payroll, you need to be able to make an assessment as to whether they are genuinely self-employed or whether actually they're filling a job and actually they should be paid and paying the same tax, PAYE, as other people working in your business. That's something you need to kind of define and decide. So for medium to larger size businesses, this is gonna be coming into effect from April and it's gonna be a big deal and it's something that people need to really take on board. And I think even if you've got a small business you're thinking this isn't gonna impact on me, for example, your local builder who's got some off-contract workers um, doing the plumbing, someone who's doing the plastering, those sorts of things, it's something for you to start thinking about because just like the pensions, you think this isn't gonna be outrolled across the board, I think that's gonna be a little bit you know, foolish to think that it's gonna go that particular direction. You need to get into uh, into the realms of things with this. And you need to understand exactly what R35 means and whether someone has mutuality of obligation. Oh my God, what does that word even mean? It means that basically, if you're mutually obligated to each other, in other words, I have to tell you if I'm gonna be sick, I have to ask if I can take some time off, I can't just bring my friend into cover for me when I wanna go off sick, God holiday it has to be me etc etc well in which case there's mutual obligation I'm obligated to you and you're obligated to pay me Um, and that would be the way that would work so the next one I've got to change hands because my arm's going dead guys the next one number three get it in there number three that you really need to be concerned about is changes to parental bereavement leave so this is something, you know, it's not new really, it is new coming in, but it's been in the press, it's been spoken about, there's been consultations around it, it's, it's been going around, we've been knowing it's coming in any case. But basically, in essence, what it means is that those individuals who unfortunately lose a child either up to the age of 18 or are pregnant with child and lose that child as still stillborn from 24 weeks onwards, They would be entitled to 2 weeks paid parental bereavement leave. So this will be the same sort of thing as other special leave you may have around like, you know, emergency leave, bereavement leave, compassionate leave, whatever the case may be. Um, This will be joining up with that, but it, it gives another kind of exception and another kind of leave status there for people who are parents and who do go through this really traumatic and, you know, horrible event. We don't wish on anybody to have to use parental bereavement leave, but it's there and you need to be aware of it in case that does happen to anyone that you employ. And they're entitled to that particular parameter so guys number four number four oh god so we're really running through these now so number four that you need to be aware of is changes to some holiday pay calculation so oh this is really a complicated one but to make it really short and not uninteresting Basically, in August, the law changed because a judge decided that in actual fact, someone who's on a, like a casual worker or a turn time only contract, if they don't have an end date in their contract, their annual leave shouldn't be worked out on 12.07%. Don't worry. It should be worked out on the 12 week a reference period basically so in other words what you need to do is go back 12 paid weeks that have to be paid weeks if there's gaps in between that's fine but you have to have a collection of 12 paid weeks in which to calculate how much hourly rate on average someone's got and also the average amount of hours someone's completed to discover what their prorated entitlement is complicated it is a little bit but you get your head around it the problem is is obviously if somebody works the first half of the year doing all the hours God sends, you know, they're really just, they're there all the time. In fact, you know, they're they're almost like they're living at your business, they're doing that many hours. And in the second half of the year, they're not really doing that much because they've put so much in in the first half of the year. If it's the second half of the year that they're requesting their leave, they have to physically request this leave by the way, they're gonna be physically taking this leave. If it's at that point that they're actually asking for this leave, you're going back over a 12 week pay period when they've not done as much hours, which means actually overall they've done quite a lot of hours, but for that 12 weeks, those three months in the second half of that year, they haven't. And they get a disproportionate amount of annual leave because, in actual fact, it's worked out in their prorated enticement for the average amount of hours they've completed in that particular time period. So, What's happening now is they're adjusting it from a 12-week review period to a 52-week review period. And what that means is, it's basically exactly the same principles apply but over a longer period of time. So when someone's coming and asking you about their annual leave, there's a longer review period to base that upon. But also, don't forget, with these people, you could have somebody who's not worked with you for a year yet, and in which case you should be basing it on the amount of complete paid weeks that you do have and working out on that and when the person comes and asks you for what their holiday entitlement is and the fact that hey do you know what I want to take a week off you can actually evaluate whether they have enough of that annual leave accrued by that point in time to be able to do that um, and, and obviously you know if that falls within the amount of annual leave that they've got in their overall entitlement at that point in time when you do that calculation and number five we've reached the end it seems like we've got here so fast it wasn't that boring was it no it was pretty good honest but number five coming in, get all five of these sausage fingers up, as they say in the rugby. So all five, not all five. Number five coming in is the Swedish derogation. No, I'm not swearing at you. I'm not talking about some kind of team of people coming over from Sweden to visit the prime minister. This is something that's been in place around agency workers. So in short, with the agency workers rights, what happened was if somebody is working as an agency worker in your business, they should be entitled to the same amount per hour as someone who's employed in your business doing exactly the same job. The problem is, is with the Swedish derogation, those people were employed by the agency, not the end user. And that then meant that, in actual fact, their pay was not aligned to who was completing the same job in the business they were working in, but within the agency. And companies were able to reduce the amount per hour that potentially they were paying the agency staff. Which is all contrary to what the rules were meant to be there for in any case. So removing the Swedish derogation rule removes that kind of sidetrack. It means that if you get an agency member... On board they're gonna be measured against the people in your business completing that role as to what their hourly rate of pay should be on it means that loophole to get a cheaper agency worker if there was such a thing has gone if you're not using agency workers not a big deal plus the fact I just like saying the word Swedish derogation. I don't know but anyway those are the five changes that you need to be aware of in your business from April moving forward Guys, it's been a pleasure. Remember, outstaff the competition. I'll speak to you soon. We'll be back. Okay, guys, have you ever had a really nasty manager? Have you ever had that person who's a complete dick or whatever they are that treats people in a horrible way, hoping that that's going to get them results? How did that make you feel? Just think about that for a minute. Just stop what you're doing and think. How did it make you feel when you were working for that person? Did you want to stay and commit or did you want to run for the hills and leave guys when it was me I wanted to run for the hills I wanted to leave I wasn't motivated the only thing that motivated me to do was to get out of there right right now we're going to cover the video where we explored why those kind of managers those nasty managers they never prosper they will never win in the long term do not be one of these people this is the video where we cover this particular section enjoy hey everyone it's coming back in guys I want to tell you why the bad managers finger over the camera bad managers and uh, just really downright energy sapping people they just never they never prosper in in business in work it just it just doesn't happen you know have you ever been in a team before and, uh, and and one of your friends or a colleague or someone you work with suddenly gets promoted to being a manager? It's a common thing. It happens quite a lot. Right? It might happen to you. You might have actually been the person I'm talking to. You listen. But in actual fact, you know, for most people, when that happens, you get these people, they they, they get promoted up into these other roles. you think fantastic that's great i know them this is great for them so happy etc etc these people that you could have been associating with down the pub after work um sharing stories with talking with and and all the rest and all of a sudden they get into this role of manager and they adapt this alter ego personality and they turn into this complete devilish kind of nightmarish person and they're nothing like you knew them absolutely nothing like you do them and they think i've got to turn into this horrible person i've got to turn into this manager person to uh, to, to come and obviously you know tackle the role that they're in and sever their ties with the staff that they've been associated with previously so they're not seen in the same kind of guys as they were like pally pally type of people and they, they put this alter ego on to try and get the results to try and show that they are worth worth their weight in gold and being employed into that post and that position and and at the end of the it doesn't work it it, it never works out in the long term i mean i, I remember once i was working um i'm not going to name companies or name names obviously um but um i remember one time i was working for a, a manager in a role i used to have to travel about an hour and a half to get to the role i know i know hoo um, but at the end of the day, it, for me, it was a bit of a bitch of a commute, to be honest with you. It was it was two trains. Um, it was a nightmare, the length of time that I was traveling, the time that I'd be coming back. By the time I'd get home, you know, it'd be late, you'd have some tea, have some dinner, you're up to bed, back up again in the morning, doing the same thing all over again. It 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 wasn't a great kind of commute to do. But the role... The role I loved, the nature of the work we were doing was amazing, and the value it added to my CV—it was worth its weight. You know, it's just amazing sort of stuff. I knew it's worthwhile doing, and that's why I took that on. It was a pay cut, everything. I took it on because it was the worthwhile thing to do for me, for my career. Blah 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 blah. But but in principle, the problem I had to keep stop putting that hand in front of that camera, guys. The problem I had with this particular person at the end of the day was the way in which she treated people so it was the way in which they treated other people that were working for them and it was a really it was a really peculiar kind of set of circumstance that you would we would do like for example we were doing a big change program and as part of this change program we we had to obviously do these papers documents and everything else went out to people the staff um, and you had to get all these things worked through with managers, get it signed off, get it agreed, that everybody was happy with the content, what you were doing, There was massive manager meetings that people went to and small manager meetings they went to just to get a draft put through to get to a final stage to offer it to people and actually run through a consultation process. And um, with this particular process, we, we had a template, um, I developed it, it was fine. We put in all the details, they were fine. We worked with the manager who was the specialist in that particular area, not me, do the HR, right? But they were the specialist in this particular area. And we worked with them to get this this, uh, put forward and the detail put in there, it was all correct and everything else. There were, you know when you write a document, you have bits and pieces in there, you you highlight, you know, you gotta add them, change them, make some small amendments as you go through, but it's a draft, that's what a draft is, right? And I remember uh, getting ripped a whole new one by this particular manager because it still had these bits in. We couldn't fill those in until it went to the wider meeting. It was just a ridiculous set of circumstances that literally there was nothing you could have done differently on review. I mean, normally when I say these things, I say, look at yourself, it could be you. It could be you that's the problem, but on this, we knew we had to go to the next stage meeting to fill in some of these details. It just wasn't going to be something we could do. And the timescales we were looking to do, just wasn't able to fill this in until we got to the next stage. And it was just like being picky and difficult for the sake of it. Like, For example, someone's given me a document and I've got to be able to have an input on it. I can't, I can't leave it be as it is. It's got to have my input. I've got to have my fingerprints on this in some way. So I will bring up and mention any small little detail I can to show that I've done that. And that's what it felt like. But it wasn't just it wasn't just the pickiness. It wasn't just the the things that were being pointed out which were just blatantly absurd. It was it was just it was the it was the nature, it was the mannerisms in which it was done and the person had a really quirky kind of way of doing it. Where it would be kinda of quiet. They'd do a weird little giggle and, and this giggle was just It was bizarre. I mean, at the point in time when it happened, it happened in meetings with other people around the table. At the point it would happen, everybody would kind of go, "Did somebody else actually just hear that that's happened?" That person's quietly spoken, and then let out a little (laughs) giggle. I think it's weird. And then came, then came the nastiness, the vileness. In a delivery that would really just knock your energy out of your body. So by the point in time I've done this hour and a half commute into work, I'm 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 tired. I've had to get up ridiculously early in the morning to get there, catch two trains, get a bus in some circumstances just to get there as well as the two trains. You get there to this job, and all of a sudden. You get this energy sapping just coming out of you from this person that you're working with, and then you've got to do it all again the next day and travel home, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It was an absolute nightmare. And, and some people didn't have to work with them in this particular way, didn't believe that this happened. It was just some crazy, crazy story you're coming up with. And then when they did eventually have to work with them, I've got messages going, I know exactly what you're talking about. And and people act in this particular way for a couple couple of common purposes. So you tend to get these kind of really bitter, twisted, difficult, awkward managers. And they do it because they think this gets results. It gets the job done. You know, being this way, I'm not here to make friends. This is work. I'm not here to associate with anybody. It's a job. I need you to do your job. And these kind of nasty type of managers, um, they, they think it works to get the job done. Everybody is under pressure to meet their targets, get their work done, get the outputs from their teams. We all know that, right? But this is so short-termism, it's its ridiculous. So for me, you know, it never works. It never works in the long run. And the reason it never works in the long run is, is for a couple of reasons. Number one is that, you know, it picks people up. People get the initial bolt of fear within them when managers start working this particular way and you get a slight uppick from that kind of fear that people, you know, get cracking on different bits and pieces, working really hard because they're worried about what's gonna happen if they don't. So you get a slight upturn for a short period of time. Ultimately after that, people lose the energy. You're sucking the energy out of people. So, you know, over a longer period of time, a medium period of time, it's not gonna work anymore. So people don't work through fear. Fear doesn't make people work harder. Fear makes people work harder in the short term, but in the medium to long term, it makes them want to just get the hell out of there. And, and that's what happens. People tend to vote with their feet. So you'll get a higher level of staff turnover. Um, and also people will just start to just not produce. They'll just be, whatever I do, however I do it, this is going to be the result. Why should I bother putting so much effort in to get the same outcome at the end of the day. And it just demoralizes people. You end up with a really horrible atmosphere within your teams. Um, The teams don't want to be there. You get a really kind of bad attitude problem within your your teams as well because they're not respecting the situation or the person at the end of the day. And one of the crazy things is that these people are still, the the, the basics of dealing with employees at work. Couldn't be easier. You do it every day of your life. With, with, when you're going to the shops to buy a paper, to get a sandwich, whether you're catching a bus, a train, when you're talking to people on the street, your friends, your family, your, your children, your wife, your husband, brothers and sisters, it makes no difference. It's all based on relationships. It's about the things that make us what we are, human beings. So to go into some kind of managerzilla person doesn't make any sense because it doesn't it doesn't resonate with anybody, it's not human anymore, it's not right. So you've got to be able to engage and come across to the people that you're working with. And that's when I talk about more, rather than a manager style, more of a coaching style. And <clears throat> and for me, I think solely and, and wholeheartedly that you know if you have that approach and you actually have more of an understanding with your team, and more sympathy. i'm not saying that if you have a bad performer someone who's genuinely not doing well their role um and and what have you you get those those people that you you treat them um all softly softly as though they're a friend down the pub i'm not saying that at all but there's there's horses for courses and you've got to play to your audience that's a whole other video but at the end of the day being more human and working based on relationships with people as a manager you're going to get in the long term so much more people are going to work with you and for you rather than, than based on the fact that you're a manager people get inspired by that type of manager people work for inspiration people don't work for fear and and, and that's the thing I mean just to put yourself in, in their shoes you know you're spending so much of your time in the working environment at the end of the day if you're making people miserable and happy it means just making the majority of their life awake a misery Why would you do that to people? It's never going to work. And coming back to my story, you know, with this particular manager, I remember once um, I didn't know them very well on a personal type of level. Never got to that. You know, it was very much, you know, work, it. But, I mean, we went to a leaving do once and they were going to be there. And I remember thinking, oh, I might just pop in for a drink. Um, I'm not going to stay. I mean, I love the people. The people were amazing, by the way. And I thought I'll pop in for a drink and I'll be off. I'm not gonna stick around for this because it's bad enough having it in the work time. I just wanna get home after this. I've got this journey to do, I'll be done. And, um, and I, I really didn't wanna stay for too long. And I remember I did stay <laughs> for a much longer period of time, but it's because the person's personality was so different to what they were, they were putting on in the workplace. They weren't the same person. It was it was it was like a Jekyll and Hyde. They were completely different people. It was insane. It was like what is going on? This isn't this can't be the same person. Why can't you be like this in the workplace? And it's so frustrating. And I just think ultimately guys, you know, managers those managers who who manage through fear, who manage through the intimidation, who manage in a very autocratic kind of way they never get the most in the long term out of their people. People that that kind of work with you and come with you on that journey and believe in it, they follow a personality, they follow a person, they follow leaders, they follow coaches. And if you can adopt that style in your technique as a manager or in your business as an owner, then you'll be able to bring people on that journey with you rather than dragging them along on your heels against their will with you and there's a big difference between those two personalities guys remember outstaff the competition stay great be fantastic have fun right everybody thank you so much for sticking with us right now the next video that we went through um, and we provided for the podcast is looking at playing to the right audience it's about exploring why There is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to your teams and the people within your teams and how you can blend like a chameleon to help those people to get through and to make you a better team and a better business. Guys, this is playing to the right audience. Hi, everyone. Guys, today I really want to make quite an important video uh, for me. I think that actually um, knowing the audience that you're playing to in your business, knowing who it is you're talking to, is really, really fundamental. So key, in fact, that I think that if you don't recognize who you're talking to and play to the correct audience and talk and address them in the right way, that you're gonna have some serious, serious problems. That goes with, you know, where you're dealing with clients, where you're dealing with, you know, staff, where you're dealing with different levels of staff. Um, it, it, knowing the audience that you're talking to, is going to be really, really key to persuading and getting the right outcomes that you're looking to get from each particular group that you're talking to. So, you know, just to put that into some kind of perspective for me for a minute, I'm thinking, um, you know, anyone who's, anybody who's a parent, for example, in fact, actually, um, you know, just give another example. This thing, we're all, all of this apply to all of us. So every time when we were a children, as you're growing up, You've got to imagine that when you go out with your friends, certainly when I did, when I went out with my friends, you went up at the park, or um, as you got older, you went to sleepovers, um, and as you got a little bit older, you went out to the pub and you went drinking. Sometimes the way you would go out with your friends, the way you would socialize, the way you would talk to each other, the way you would behave with one another, that was right, that was okay, that was your kind of banter that you'd have with your friends in that kind of perspective. But one of the things for me is is if I took that home, if I suddenly went home to my parents and started talking to my parents in the same way that uh, I would talk to my friends in the pub, um, I can feel my dad sitting there so looking at me and I can feel the eyes burning of my face. But if I went home, perhaps I did sometimes, went home and used used that kind of language and used some of those behaviours at home with my parents, um, it wouldn't go down too well, it was kind of like a, like a rule book to catastrophe for me, really. Uh, If if you think about, if you take the the behaviors that you have with your friends, so the way now that I may talk to my friends or other people that I know outside of the work environment, outside of the business environment, if I took that and that particular mentality and applied that to my workplace, um, the two things don't really go together very well. So you've got to really think about the audience you're playing to. So thinking of it from a perspective of a parent, let's say, you know, with my daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, Gracie, love you lots, um, she's on the cusp of becoming a teenager. So we're getting those boundaries of being pushed, they're getting broken, um, and you know, the rules are all getting a little bit jaded at the moment in some cases. But at the end of the day, she's going through that process of learning that Okay, how you talk to your friends and what you do with your friends, and and it's one thing, but then when you go to school, you you wouldn't talk to your teachers in the same way as perhaps you would talk to your friends. And equally, you wouldn't talk to your teacher and your friends in the same way as you talk to your mum, your dad, your nan, your granddad, or even your sisters and your brothers. So it's knowing the audience that you're playing to. So, for example, if my daughter came home and she wanted something new, like a new toy or a new game for the Nintendo Switch, whatever things they've got these days, if she wanted any of those things, but ask for it in a way that she's using language that she would use with her friend that she thinks is funny, but actually crossing a boundary and being rude, give it up, it's not gonna happen, you know, I'm not gonna go out and buy something for her because she's, she's not being plain to the correct audience. So she's not going to get the outcomes she's looking for doing that with her friends might be seen as funny doing that at home means you lose things and you don't get what you want so it's exactly the same when you're a manager when you're working with staff when you're owning a business especially in the hospitality industry i, I find because you're getting so many different cultures so many different backgrounds so many different people coming not only into work with your business but also as customers and clients into your business On a regular basis, you need to know how to perform, how to give that hospitality. Hospitality is all about the art of performance at the end of the day, it's like a a theatre with food. And at the end of the day, you need to know how you're performing to your particular audience. Who is your audience? How can you give them the best experience and get the most out of them and be persuasive with that audience? And that means that there is definitely no one-size-fits-all. You need to recognize the audience and play to that particular audience to get what you're looking for. So if we bring that on to, you know, thinking for a second about your staff, looking at the people working in your business, um, you know, if you, if you treat everybody in exactly the same way, you, you tend to gonna, some people but keep a lot of people unhappy and it doesn't mean that those people who are unhappy are the wrong kind of people for your business could do but it doesn't necessarily mean that what it could mean is is that that person doesn't have the same kind of of background or ethos or understanding or, or, or actually that's not the motivating factor for them you're not pressing the right buttons for that person and the one thing about us is we're all human which means that we're not the same um, and it comes back onto that same principle and broadly speaking when i think about this uh you know i can, i tend to think about more around sports um and certainly you know rugby i love rugby um come on you queens but separate subject at the end of the day for me you know in terms of rugby you tend to have two types of characters there's obviously variations of each but they tend to fall into two particular baskets and, you know, I tend to term those the ones that like the tough, rough love and those that like the fluffy stuff. So every now and then, someone who needs a pick up and a hug to get them motivated to let them know, do you know what's it's okay. This happens to all of us. You're not alone. Um, we can move on past this. this. This doesn't define you. It's a mistake you learn by these things. This is what you do. Um, and then the tough love, which is the people that need that kind of kick to get them inspired sometimes. And, and certainly, I mean, I've seen both ends of that spectrum in businesses. I've seen the ends of the spectrum that are very severe towards the side of, you need a big kick up the ass to get yourself motivated. That's what I'm gonna do on my sales team. I'm gonna motivate them by scaring the living bejesus out of them. And that doesn't work all the time. Like we said in the previous video, you know, sometimes the scary managers get a short uplift, but not the long-term gravitas to drive the business forward. In the long term, what they tend to find is is actually people drop off and go and you get high levels of turnover and you get low performance levels over the long term. So you need to know how you can balance that out. And you know, there's two sides of those coins to each individual. Sometimes, you know, some people need to kick up the ass, and sometimes that same person may need a bit more of the fluffy stuff. And it's knowing when to provide that and who the audience is that you're performing to and who you're trying to motivate to get the most out of them. So, for me, the crux of this, of all of this that we've just been talking about for the past few minutes is really looking to analyze, as a manager, as an owner, in your business, you need to analyze the person in front of you, not just the person, but the situation that person is in, situation you're trying how you're trying to persuade them what you're trying to get them to do and what may work best with them and how do you know that and and really that's the next key question it's it's all fair and well to say everybody's different and that same person is not always the same person every day So how do I know which person, what type of person I'm dealing with that day, what scenario I'm dealing with that's gonna work best to get the most out of that person and persuade them to continue to do the things that you're really wanting them to do and that you need them to do in that business and really to help and support them because at the end of the day, the whole of this is about this is a family member for you, this is a work family, how, you know, you don't just leave that person by the sidelines, to struggle, how do I help them? So the key part really, Um, In in terms of that moving forward is is looking at how can I over a period of time Analyze this person in front of me that comes down to regular meetings comes down to regular communication And and regularly trying to find out what's happening with those people and how they're enjoying themselves And what can you do differently? I talk about this quite a lot in the past about um, What can you give back to people? So it's not good enough as an employer just to turn around and say I pay you your wages I give you annual leave, I've got given you a job, you know, what more do you want? Just do what I'm asking you to do. It's not good enough to ask that anymore. You, you also need to go into depth and say, what can I give back to you? What can I give back to you to help and motivate you to do more than that? Money is, you know, in the top five of things that drive and inspire people to want to work for you. It is, without a shadow of a doubt. But it's not all five things. And there's four other things on that list that would motivate someone to work and work a bit harder or go above and beyond for you. And, and, you know, that's where we come into the whole ethos about working, family, etc, etc. But understanding that person, understanding your audience takes time. You can't just assume you know who that person is. You assume you know what's going on in their lives. You assume what their motivating factors are going to be. Um, not everybody's the same. It's bad to make those assumptions. The only way you find that out is to actually get to know those people, and the only way you get to know those people is to actually conversate with them, to actually communicate, and that also means listening as well as talking to those people. Genuinely listening to what those people are saying, not just you know hearing it and, and acknowledging, yeah, 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 and then moving on. Actually listening to what those people are actually saying and building up Some kind of recognition as to who that person is and getting an understanding as to what helps them, what motivates them, even asking them those sorts of questions as to how they feel inspired, what would help them. So at the end of those kind of what we term one-to-one meetings or regular review meetings or a conversation with somebody who's in your team, asking them for feedback on you. How can you help them more? How? What would What would help them to want to achieve more? Um, what is it they're looking for? Where is it they're looking to go? Is this a stop-cap job, um, or, or what else is it, and what more can you learn from that? And there's so many other things we can discuss about that, but understanding the audience you're talking to is fundamentally critical when it comes to your staff, because, It's not just about the fact that they're different to your customers, they're probably different to your partners and and the owners and and what have you. It's the fact that each and every one of them is different from each other and they're not all the same every day. So you need to understand that and what makes these people tick to be able to understand what the audience is that you're presenting to and how you can best help them and how they can be motivated to best help you from that process. Guys, it's been a pleasure, um, and I'll be back soon. But remember to outstaff your competition. Take care. All the best. Okay, guys, is that a cold? Is that a cough or a sneeze or the flu? No, it's the coronavirus. That's right. This week, we've had a huge episode around looking at the coronavirus as that starts to sweep across the globe, And there's a frenzy of people buying toilet roll. We explore what happens in your business, how you manage it, and how you manage your staff through self-isolation, through being sick, etc., etc., and what things you need to be aware of and how you manage those. Guys, this is the main episode from this week that you've been waiting for. This is the one with the coronavirus. Hey, guys, are you prepared for the coronavirus? Are you Well, if you're not and you're still looking for some extra tips and support and advice, come to the right place. Let's have a look at some of the basic things that really we need to start thinking about in your business to try and help you get ready for any potential outbreaks of coronavirus with your staff and in your workplace. So I think the first thing to mention here is it's a lot of the information that we get. I'm gonna put the details of the websites below for you to go and click on yourself so you can have a look into further information there as well but I just want to go through some really basic housekeeping for you so the first step really is to make sure that whatever parameters you're putting into place in your workplace you need to make sure everyone's aware of them there's no point in getting these things put into place and keeping them all secretive so we need to make sure that we're raising awareness so the first step is let's raise some awareness got to make sure i'm spanning okay here with your staff, okay? Raise some awareness with your staff over how you are dealing with the coronavirus, the parameters, the things that you're putting in place in your business right now. The second thing is, is quite a common theme at the moment in time, is do you hold all of the details to contact your staff? Do you hold their emergency contact details as well? So emergency contact details are like, if you want to get hold of my father because I've fallen down the stairs and broken my neck, Here's his number, good luck. So at the end of the day, you wanna make sure you hold all of those and not forgetting GDPR, you need to make sure that all the data you hold is up to date and correct. So the second thing is let's make sure that we hold up to date details for staff and emergency contacts. So, really, really simple things there. In the first two, make sure that you are getting things into place and making sure that you can contact everybody that you need to contact should you need to contact them. So, the next thing really is you want to make sure, um, you know, that we don't want to go into detail here as to spotting the warning signs of coronavirus infection, but you need to make sure that your managers are aware of what they look like. Bearing in mind, we're not going to go into too much detail on it, it's not too dissimilar from a lot of other. Kind of cases or colds and flus that people could get, or coughs and diseases and sniffles and now flu, dare I say, that people may have, it could look very similar. But can you spot the warning signs? Can your managers spot the signs early on of potential coronavirus? So, are managers aware of warning signs? So again, that's another third point you really want your managers to be really thinking about here is making sure they can help to spot these things when they need to spot them to support your staff. So The next thing really is, as we've all been told, you'll see it on all the campaigns going out by the government, it's been on the news, it's been on this morning, I think, and also other places with the Prime Minister, when they're talking about washing these things, keep washing your hands, hot water, sanitizer, doing it for the 20 seconds, singing out the hymn of, you know, happy birthday, twice or whatever. It's that kind of crazy stuff we need to be thinking of doing. So are we providing clean places for not just the staff, but your visitors to actually clean and wash their hands? So the fourth issue here is, are you providing clean environment, oh my God. and So, are you providing those clean environments for your staff and visitors? Okay, so those are four that we've got on there already. So, the the fifth one, Jesus, God, I'm losing track already. Maybe I'm getting it. So, the fifth one is making sure that you've got available hand sanitizers as well, which obviously I think is already pretty much in there. But I think at the moment in time, you might find that those will be sold out. So we want to talk about, you know, maybe having hand sanitizers and uh, tissues available. And the last one, I think, sitting on the top of my head, I think the last one really you want to have in there is about travel plans. So, you know, are people within your teams looking to travel to affected areas, and should they do so, and should only do so in the case of, you know, really extenuating circumstances. So maybe looking at staff travel. So these are just some of the really basic parameters that you really want to start thinking about having into place as your housekeeping to helping to minimize and reduce the impacts and spread of coronavirus. These details are, like I said, available in the links below. Um, So please go ahead and check those out. I'm gonna leave those up there for the rest of the video um, and go through some of the other parameters of what could happen. If the coronavirus hits your staff or your business and what can you do and what could be the impacts of this so the first one is quite an obvious one is sickness absence so what happens in the case of sickness absence this just take for example one of your members of staff has unfortunately contracted the coronavirus or suspected to have contracted coronavirus and then thus goes off sick Well, this really comes down to the crux of it is to what is within your policies and procedures for managing sickness absence. Do you just pay statutory sick pay or do you pay what we call this occupational sick pay, which is where, for example, your staff will still get the same amount of pay as anyone would do throughout a certain period of sickness absence and how far are they along with those. So for you, you really need to start thinking about you know how impactful that could be so if you're only doing statutory sick pay bearing in mind the government released this week that they would allow that to kick starting from the first date of sickness absence rather than the third the fourth date so the first three days initially of SSP doesn't attract SSP payments but they've released that that's going to change at the moment in time so from day one they will start paying SSP. So SSP for you guys, there's a statutory amount of about 94 pounds 25 pence that your staff be entitled to per day for statutory sick pay, and this will apply potentially to some of your workers and to your employees. So, you need to really think about this um, and what the impacts could be. But basically, you would be required to make a payment for their sickness absence if they are calling in sick for whatever reason, which is not unusual to any other period of sickness absence, to be honest, other than the fact if you Have the SSP, it starts from day one, run day four. So um, with that in mind, then, you know, moving on, what happens if somebody has to, or you're sending somebody home from work because you're worried that they could have that? Rather than them going off sick, you're sending them home from work so that they don't spread it or so that they can obviously put themselves into isolation um, and obviously recover from whatever it is they've got, suspected to have had. So next, really, after that is looking at if people aren't going off sick, what happens if you are asking people to go home from work? Well, that comes into a number of different categories. So, for example, if you are sending somebody home because you're concerned or you're worried about the spread or you're worried that they could have uh, the coronavirus or something similar in those symptoms and just for good measure, you want to pack them off to go home and isolate themselves, um, then, in which case, you will probably have to pay those people on their normal full pay. So, it wouldn't be sickness absence, it would be full pay because they've been sent home from work to obviously go and rest up and make sure they can recover from whatever it is and go through the insulation uh, period that they have to go through, which is the 14 days. Um, now, the alternative to that is obviously you can do like flexible working. So, if your business allows you to be able to go home and work. Um, from a laptop, then you could obviously offer your staff a lot more flexibility to go home and work rather than be in the office and congregate together. The problem with that comes into if that doesn't suit your business. So, for example, if you're a restaurant, you can't really get your waiting staff to work from home. It's a long way to walk to get the tables. So at the end of the day, you may want to think about whether sending somebody home on full pay to, uh, to obviously go home, rest up, and and isolate themselves from everybody else. You may need to think about that, rather than asking people to obviously take work home. And when you're doing that, obviously it's gonna be on pay. So bear that in mind, guys. Um, The other part of this is obviously, if you're not sending those people home, or they're not off-sick, what happens if they need to go home to look after a dependent? So for example, people who are caring uh, for a relative, or those that have, um, you know, young children who are their dependents. So if you need to go home and look after them. Staff need to go home and look after those particular individuals. Then it comes into the same framework and the same process as you normally would do. So, for example, um, you know, you get the parental leave that people could go home and look after their children in emergencies. The difference in the key here is. For those stuff, it doesn't always mean it's paid. Sometimes these things can be taken as unpaid parental leave. You're entitled to it, but it doesn't mean it's paid. So a lot of businesses you might find, you may be one of them out there, will allow people to go home and care after dependents, but it won't be on paid leave. One of the things I would always say to people is, is look, at the end of the day, You're trying to get the most out of your staff and you're trying to keep your working family. I don't think it's a great thing if you're going to be one of those employees that says, in this particular situation, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to pay you whatsoever. Obviously, there's got to be restrictions around this. But, you know, at the end of the day, if they've got no choice but to go home and care for a child, for example, if their school is shut, um, then you may want to be a little bit more considerate around that. But you can always think about things like, uh, you know, holiday so if they've got any annual leave entitlement, they may want to take some of that for a period of time. You can balance it out with that and unpaid leave, um, and they can do it in that particular way. Um, the other thing is, is obviously, if you're asking someone to come into work, there's no risks as you can see it, so you've done your, your measures that are coming down the screen here. Um, if you've done all of those, and there is no issues with them coming into the workplace, and you require them to come to the workplace, but they refuse, Well, this comes into a completely different area um, of your your policies and procedures as it were. So you'll be looking more around, well, if you're refusing to come into work, um, then that potentially falls into a disciplinary issue. And we don't want anybody through this process getting pulled into that. Um, Obviously, they would need to identify these particular reasons why they're refusing to come to work as to where those risks are. But if you've got these other bits and pieces in place, um, like your housekeeping that we put to the side, realistically you should have really strong mechanisms and procedures to help to reduce uh, the impact of coronavirus the spread of coronavirus in your business and absolutely safeguard everybody that's working with you so therefore people need to be aware if they do that there's a risk of disciplinary action that's against them from that point forward and one of the other things I spoke about coming back onto the flexible working kind of route and everything else I think one of the things we need to remember is if you are one of those businesses where you can't take waiting home or you can't be the chef in your home and get the food sent out the window to the restaurant, you know, a couple of miles down the road, at the end of the day, you may find that you have to allow so many staff to go, you can't any longer keep the restaurant open. And if you are in a business that's a similar model to that, um, then that can be quite impactive. So you may wanna look at things like layoffs. Layoffs happen over a short-term period, um, and obviously they're not things you wanna use for a long period of time, because if you do, there are risks that staff could claim that actually they're redundant rather than being laid off. So if they're laid off for four consecutive weeks or six weeks in a 13-week period, then they could claim that they're actually redundant rather than being laid off. But what a layoff does allow you is to potentially reduce your staffing levels over that period of time rather than up the restaurant and providing a poor service coming in because actually you've got half your staff. Now the key things around layoffs really come down to what's in your terms, and conditions of employment with your staff. So are you allowed within the layoffs to actually reduce down to the statutory layoff pay? Um, or if you don't have that in there, then you have to pay your pay at the same rate, the basic rate that you would pay your staff ordinarily. Otherwise, if you're looking at the statutory layoff pay, then it works out £29 per day for a five-day period within a three-month window. So every three months over five days, they get paid £29 a day. It works out to be a maximum of £145 for that period. So for your staff, it's hugely impacted because that's probably going to be a significant reduction in their pay for those five days that they're not in. And it's not something that really you'd want to do for a long period of time, because it's gonna be impacted from the staff, staff morale, and also the business when you come back to reopen. So again, I would say in those situations, come back and think about other steps. These are kind of the emergency trigger points and the, the other ways you can go, not necessarily the first port of call. So I think obviously think about annual leave, think about unpaid leave, um, think about if you are asking people to go home as dependents to look after their children or, or other people that they care for. Then think about how you can help and support them throughout the process rather than just doing the standard, you know, no pay, unpaid, uh, dependent, you know, parental leave, etc, etc. Think about how else you can actually support your staff during these times. I think what you'll find is, in actual fact, you know, although the coronavirus has come along it's asked these questions and it's asked questions around SSP and how they're structured. A lot of these things that we're talking about are already and should already be within your terms and conditions and your handbooks. And that brings us onto a whole other other window of problems. If you don't have written terms and conditions, if you don't have your standard handbook of policies and procedures, then the minutiae of dealing with this is really gonna be coming to the core and the crux that makes this really difficult to progress forward because at the end of the day, it's down to interpretation between you and the other party as to what is actually in place. So for example, if you are doing layoffs and I've got nothing in writing, I could say, well, I don't agree with that. That's not what I had in place. And with nothing in writing, it's hard to dispute that. So guys, right now, what this really does do, on top of everything else that it's obviously raising the question marks over, is it highlights that necessity to make sure that you've got those statement of particulars in place or contracts, terms and conditions, And you've also got your suite of policies or your handbook of procedures and policies in place in your business, because you're gonna be relying on both of them to manage these issues. If you don't have them, then managing these issues can become much more difficult, drawn out and complicated. So if you're having problems with those bits and pieces, then again, contact us using the link down below. We can help with that. If you're looking for more information as to how you can spot the signs of coronavirus with your staff, Again, there's a link below. Please go ahead, click on that and look at how you can spot those warning signs. If you're looking for more information as to how you can help manage in your business issues around coronavirus, so sickness absence, layoffs, if you're looking for information on, you know, uh, dependence, parental leave, etc., etc. Again, we will link onto the ACAS website for you and you click on the link below for that too. If you need any other information or support and advice in any particular nuanced cases that you have again use the links below to let us know about that and we can see how we can help and support you guys it's been a pleasure I hope you found this helpful um, if you need any more information from us then please hit us up let me know we'll see how we can help but in the meantime remember there are a few key aspects you need to bear in mind is your housekeeping in place yes or no if it's not put it into place it's Come on, let's get it sorted. Number two, are people going off sick? In which case, what is your sickness processes and procedures around pay? And how are you supporting those people whilst they're off sick? Are they calling the 111 service, etc., etc.? Make sure you're supporting your staff through that. The next thing is obviously, if people are using the annual leave or unpaid leave to try and help manage the situation, are they off care with their dependents and how are you facilitating that? If they're not gonna get any pay for looking after their dependents, how can you help make that sweetened deal by allowing them to get something at the end of the day, although that has a cost implication on you, it will be much better when you are back up to normality to keep the staff morale and your business going, otherwise you're gonna get a stagnated effect after all of this is hit. And also, have you had to consider things like flexible working or layoffs? Um, In the worst of instances, because obviously, when you're losing a couple of staff, that actually, you know, keeping the business open just doesn't remain something that's sustainable to do. And then last but not least, is making sure that we're washing these things. It's all over the show. It's everywhere, guys. 20 seconds, happy birthday twice. Wash them. Wash them continuously. Put it in the tissue and bin it. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Remember, out-staff the competition. Take care. See you later. Hi there, everyone. Guys, if you've stuck around so far, I just want to say a huge thank you. As we said before, these podcasts are going to be made up of a mishmash of the videos that we've been doing on YouTube and bringing them together in one place so you can listen to these as an audio section for yourselves and take away on the go as you're doing whatever it is you're doing and learning as we're going through this with us. So the last section that we're going to come on to is providing a sense of belonging. And for me, I mean, this for me really is a really big one Uh, may not be for everybody else, but we all as a human being want to belong to something. We have a sense of belonging, whether that's to your politics, your nationalities, your religion, your local sports team, your family, your friends, your school, whatever it is, we have a sense of belonging. And in this audio section we cover off why can't that sense of belonging also apply to the people in your business 100% it can guys let's take this forward hey everyone it's Mike again coming in from Cavill guys I want to talk today about why a sense of belonging a sense of, of being part of something is the be all end all of everything for your staff in your business so Guys, just briefly, I want to talk about. You know, let's go back to other things like look at religion, let's look at nationalities, let's look at Brexit, let's look at things around sports, your favorite football team, or in my case, your favorite rugby team. Come on, you queens! At the end of the day, when you look at all of those things, people live and want a sense of belonging. It means that when someone's coming and working for you in your business, it's all right to say, Do you know what? In the top 5 of things that are important to the people in your business, your staff, to them today, one of those in that top 5 is going to be money. It's going to be how much are you paying them. Of course it is. No one's denying that. But there's another 4 on that list. There's another 4 reasons that people may want to come and work for you and your business in your restaurant, in your cafe, whatever your business is, whether you're a marketing company or or whatever you are, there are reasons why people want to come and work with you beyond money. Money, yes, it's critical. Don't get me wrong. It is. It's important. Location. Location could be another great one as well. But guys, if people can have a sense of belonging to something, like a family, then it makes so much difference. It's ludicrous. It really is. People believe that they're on a journey with you, with the business, with everything else that's going on. They believe they're on that journey with you. Remember, we talk about values, we talk about vision, and we say that, you know, your values is, is the vehicle. It's the, it's the thing that gets them in the car. So you are turn to your staff and you're saying, look, this is what this car does. This is why we want to get in this car. This is why we want to do this. This is why we're here and the vision is where you're going with it. So the car is your values and the vision is the journey of where you're going with it. And you need to take people along that journey. You need to give them a reason to get in the car with you and you need to give them a substantial reason to go on that journey, where that vision is. And guys, to be honest with you, the biggest part of that's gonna come down to a sense of belonging. It's gonna be really important for people to know that you know they're part of this, they're buying into it. We talk about your working family. I think about, like we said, we mentioned a couple of of, of ones there for a a minute. We talk about, like, for example, your favourite football team. So whoever you're supporting right now, let's not get into that. We don't want to touch on that territory. But you will have potentially a favourite football team or a sports team and you may have got into that sports team through your family through friends through social events it could have been through a multitude of different bits and pieces that's got you to where you are that you like and love that particular football club or sports event whatever it is that you're really supporting right but you are part of that with such a large group of other people you have something that's in common that if you were to meet them down the street talk to them at the club or at the games You have something in common to talk about. You have a belief system. You can talk about how you think things could be done differently, but you know, how the team performed, where it wants to go in the future, you know, what the owners are putting into that business, what they're taking out of that business, the players they're bringing in, the players that are going, and how you feel about that. And you go on that journey together, everybody, and you have a sense of belonging. The fact of the matter is is we all, as humans, as human beings, have an innate desire to belong to something. You know, whether it be the football club, whether it be the religion, whether it be the rugby team, whether it be your nationality, whether it be the, the company that you work for, whether it be the politics that you support. We have a sense of belonging, a want to belong to something, to be part of something. And guys, why can't that be you? Why can't that be your business? Why can't you have people that have the same similar have values, not necessarily similar values, but have values that benefit your values and work towards your mission, your vision of where you want the business to go? It's so much so that they support it and want to come on that journey with you. What's wrong with the idea that you know, when somebody comes to work, they're not just coming to work because they need to pay their bills at the end of the month. Of course, we all have that. But what's wrong with the sense that somebody may be coming to work because they actually believe they belong there. They're part of a bigger project. They're part of something bigger than just being able to pay your rent this month. They're part of something that's driving a business forward. Whether it's that's, whether that's something to have on their CV or whether it's for the people that are around them. And that's why we, we say so much about getting whatever the feel is in your business. We fight for uh, working families. We so believe in that. I believe in it to my very core that there's so many things that are important about having your family ethos within your work ethos. Your, your family business, your work business, your work family, your family family. It's the same thing. It's just a group of different people that belong in that family with you. And you're know you on a journey together the same way as you will be in your own families, perhaps. You're on a journey together to reach an estimated goal. And by giving people a sense of belonging to that, that they're part of that, they can see how what they're doing on a regular basis is helping to benefit not just them, but the rest of the people in that working family with them, that they can associate with that working family, that they can associate with the people in that working family. I, I, I strongly believe that a sense of belonging is is so fundamental to things within people's being and in people wanting to be in that working environment. I mean, I, I put it in a, in a counteractive kind of way here that for me, if you take somebody who has been hired, great, you know, fantastic, they can do the job, amazing, they've got all the qualifications you need them to have, awesome, spectacular stuff, but they come in and they just don't fit. They just wanna be there, come in, get their money, go home, and do their own thing. They don't believe in this rubbish, this bollocks you're spouting about your business. It means nothing to them. You know, the facts of what happens to the restaurant at the end of the day, they don't care because, you know, if it failed, they go get another job, you know? At the end of the day, they're okay. It's about their CV, it's about their progression. And do you know what? It's okay for people to have things on their CV and want to progress in their lives. That's, that's perfectly fine. Um, But you want somebody who's there for more than just money you want someone who's there just because you know what the restaurant's around the corner from where i live you know it's really hard and i get it i get it i really do that you've got someone who's a waiter how do you get that waiter to have a sense of belonging a sense of purpose within your restaurant business when really they're just there to fill a stop gap to get some money whilst they're a student and then carry on with their lives thereafter And the thing is, is you need to invest more in those people. You need to invest more in understanding who you're hiring to get the best hires that you can for your family. At the end of the day, with my children, I wouldn't invite any Tom, Dick or Harry to come into my home and babysit my kids. I just would never, ever do that. But my business is also my baby. It's another one of my children. And would I hand that over to anybody? Would I allow anybody to come in? Just just because they like to be there, they, they want the money to be able to pay their bills, to look after my baby. No, I wouldn't. And I think at the end of the day, this comes back into other things we've spoken about, about how you can give more back to people, to give them that want and desire to be there past just money. But guys, if you've got someone that's only going to be there for money, and they're not interested in that sense of belonging because that's not their purpose, that's not their journey, that's not their values then quite frankly, they're not matching yours and they're not going to benefit yours either. And in actual fact, they're probably going to make it worse because they're going to bring other people around them down with them. So you've got to look and provide that culture, that sense of belonging where people know, like cheers, where everybody knows my name. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's a cliche. It's corny. It's cheesy. I get it. It's crazy. But at the end of the day, you must be able to provide a sense of belonging. If you can give that snippet and start to create that culture and those values within your business, you will start to see a positive, positive impact in your business. Guys, I want to thank you very much. I want to thank you for taking your time to be here with me to listen to this. Have you have got any more uh, questions or feedback or things you think you want to know more about from us and how we can support you on these videos or on the podcast and you please let me know. Um guys, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for checking in and remember to outstaff the competition. Okay guys, take care. All the best. Bye. Hey everyone, I just want to say a huge, massive thank you uh, for listening to our podcast in general. But if you have found anything useful, anything helpful within this podcast whatsoever, please, please do me a favour and help me out to get that message out there and liking this podcast and sharing it to as many and whoever you possibly can to help get other people come and join our working family. Give us feedback as to areas that you want us to consider and to follow. And we'll look to put them in into the next few weeks that are coming up as well. Guys, please spread the message. Give us a like. And let's carry on building that working family for all. Take care.